and welcome to another edition of The Insatiable Appetite. My name is Melissa Abbott and I am the Vice President of Retainer Services and Culinary Insights here at the Hartman Group. Today, we pose the question, what's beyond organic and sustainability? Well, regenerative agriculture shows signs this more holistic look at agriculture is shaping up to be more of a long-term trend rather than a short-term fad. I'm joined by my colleague, Danielle Kleiner-Cantor, to talk about how both consumers and the food industry are approaching this topic. Hey, Danielle, how are you today? Hi, Melissa. I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to talk with you about this topic today. So yes, thinking about what's beyond organic and sustainability for consumers today, Hartman Group Research continues to find that for more knowledgeable, organic, and sustainability-minded consumers, the topics of responsible farming and land management and their linkages to um, regenerative agriculture are gaining traction. Well, yeah, it is a tongue twister, Danielle, and you're right about all those things, but I think that's probably one of the most challenging aspects about regenerative agriculture right now as a marketing term is that it's a little bit of a tongue twister to just get it out. So I've heard a lot of people say like regen ag and like a lot of folks in the industry are like we're trying to create shortcuts for it. But yeah, okay, so specifically products sourced with ingredients that restore rather than deplete soil health are on the rise as a distinction of interest among the most engaged consumers, right? So this interest in what we've coined conscious consumption represents a shift in expectations among consumers that goes beyond attributes like sustainable, cage-free, or even organic and non-GMO. Now, this is not to say these attributes are no longer relevant. It's more of a move that builds on these principles, such as improved soil quality, glyphosate-free, biodiversity, crop rotation, and even permaculture. And these all have roots engaged in deeper philosophies that are connected to social justice, community connection, and animal welfare. Now, generally speaking, younger consumers are a lot more aware than older generations of these decisions that um, we're making every day, you know, um, when we're shopping. And the eventual impact that these decisions will have on generations, many, many generations to come. So, you know, when you even think about some generation, uh, you know, it's a product, a cleaning product, but it's based on that Native American principle about what you do today is going to impact seven generations ahead. And we are hearing consumers that are a little bit more mainstream start to incorporate this way of thinking into their purchase decisions. They do tend to be a little younger, though. I will say that as well. That makes sense that it's more than just about soil health. Take, for example, the term grass-fed, which was once a fringe wellness and sustainability term that has now become more of a mainstream buzzword to attract consumers seeking to avoid feedlot dairy and beef for personal wellness, animal welfare, and sustainability concerns. And the recent news about Burger King and Cargill teaming up with the World Wildlife Fund and ranchers within the Northern Great Plains to launch a three-year grassland restoration program is also fueling what is shaping up to become a long-term trend. And this initiative brings together two major companies who deliver a lot of beef to Americans to support the rehabilitation of less productive soil into thriving ecosystems, with cattle playing a really critical role. Yeah, that's a lot of beef um, going to Americans from those two companies. Now, there are certainly pros and cons to this move, with some saying that using larger corporations to market the message to ranchers and farmers really does help awareness of the regenerative agriculture as a movement. 
Then there are others who are asking, you know, this could really lead to greenwashing of what is a very important moment in time for agriculture and uh, all of the ramifications around, you know, kind of fixing what's wrong with the system. Now, I just want to take a brief moment, kind of like a quick overview. Uh, for those of us, uh, our listeners who aren't quite as familiar with what regenerative agriculture is. So as a quick overview, uh, you know, there's also regenerative agri- organic certified RCO um, that has been put out by the Rodale Institute recently. That is also uh, something that we can expect to see on a growing number of products um, over time. Now, th- this refers to farming practices that, yes, restores soil health with time-honored techniques like intercropping and cover cropping. Now, these are practices that are left less often used in modern industrial agriculture. So kind of like going back to some of the things that worked in in smaller farms. So thinking of like grass-fed beef, one way to regenerate that topsoil is to graze cattle or bison, buffalo, on land used for growing crops. And what it does is it allows their manure and left behind forage, you know, that they dig up with their hooves to act as natural fertilizers. And then you can plant crops like sorghum, for example, that use less water than conventional crops. So there's a lot of wins that, you know, kind of trickle down from just, you know, using some of these more um, traditional techniques, if you will. Yeah. And major media outlets have been covering the rise in cultural interest in regenerative agriculture, documenting increasing activity among big food corporations that say they're investing in environmentally environmentally friendly practices, such as, quote unquote, rebuilding diversity and eliminating deforestation. Consumers are certainly interested in such efforts. Our Organic and Beyond syndicated report found that the most engaged organic consumers are increasingly seeing, quote unquote, ideal agriculture as becoming less about an absence of chemicals and more about the cultivation of healthy soils and ecosystems for people, animals and communities. Yeah, that's right. Um, our looking back to our, our research on this is um, our most recent research in organic and beyond is really fascinating because we also found that for these consumers, organic actually no longer represents that highest ideal for how their food is produced. Um, and so for them, everything that most mainstream consumers are trying to avoid when buying organics, you know, the chemicals, pesticides, the GMOs, are actually seen as a short-sighted band-aid solution for an agricultural system that simply is no longer working properly. And the effects of which they're, they're manifesting in the quality of our food and they're impacting our personal health and the health of our communities. So food that attempts to address these issues goes beyond those definitions of organic. So Melissa, how can marketers highlight the benefits of regenerative agriculture? Good question. Good question. Okay. So to be clear, regenerative agriculture, it really is too complicated to be described in one word as much as we would like to. (laughs) But consumers really need an easier syntax. And right now, regenerative agriculture is helping define what consumers are seeking beyond organic, grass-fed, and sustainable by tapping into what a growing number of farmers, particularly those family farms, are incorporating or transitioning towards. And as consumers, we, we can't really understand the complexity in simple ways. And there's an opportunity here to build communities through agriculture. So the supply chain for agriculture, it's so complicated. But we are coming really to understand that at this point in time and with the pandemic and food access, we have to pay attention to more pieces of that supply chain that is respected from a values 
standpoint. So from soil health to animal welfare, welfare to human health, and like we've been talking about here, social justice and community health, all of these things are so important. Absolutely. Um, how do you see this playing out across the food industry? Well, of course, good question. Of course, time will tell. I think that's the million dollar question. And for those of us in the food industry, we have to ask, how do we connect all these pieces in a manner that drives value to each one of those pieces of the supply chain for greater overall and lasting value? to the consumer. So that's the opportunity of regenerative to farmers and producers uh, and retailers in this space today. Yeah, a lot of conversation is around soil health, as we mentioned, as we look at climate change and capturing carbon and taking it out of the atmosphere and sinking it back into our soils. And that's a really cool concept. And it's important. But beyond that, what consumers are craving is to be connected to something that is triple bottom line focused, value centered, because agriculture has been locked into this paradigm for the last you know, 80 to you know, 100 years where the only thing that was incentivized was cheap. So regenerative agriculture, it presents an opportunity to engage with consumers that presents a more values based conversation for the long term. And it's about looking at what the cost of production, the processing, and gross margins need to be and have really good business modeling to understand what drives profit back to the farm and at the end of the day, have a product on the shelf of a retailer or on a menu that can communicate that story and as a brand, really help consumers to understand the real challenges of building out the partnerships from farming to farmers to animals and all the way to the grocery store and to the consumer. Does this imply that consumers and farmers will be more connected through food? Yeah, well, we're already starting to see that. Um, there is a, a movement, and we've been here at the Hartman Group, we, we've been aware of that for, for some time, that more and more consumers are starting to really desire that transparency and that relationship with that farmer, whether it's you know going to the farmer's market or the CSAs. You know, but it's historically been about farmers producing food for consumers, and that was the full extent of the relationship. At least that's what it was like growing up. Uh, you know, as you know, I grew up in the suburbs um, outside New York, and that's what it was for me. Uh, but what we're seeing now is an opportunity for consumers to become part of agriculture. You know, really be able to understand it a little bit more with what they purchase from localized production to CSAs, which, by the way, has been booming since the start of the pandemic all across the U.S. You know, and it's also about supporting an uprising of younger black, indigenous and Latino farmers who are seeking to decolonize the food system. And this is where food justice is the focus. It's a it's a really interesting kind of an additional layer or lens that we are also seeing regenerative agriculture um, really start to observe as well. Because it's in many ways regenerating the relationship between the consumer and where their food comes from. So the big question is how to scale this, right? And what we've seen with COVID related to supply chains with centralized slaughter and packing is clearly not the answer in building relationships that benefit the consumer. So it's more about farming networks with better access to processing to be a part of a better supply chain and maybe even more of a localized supply chain. Yeah, that is a great point. And I'm curious, do you think that there are certain categories that are more impacted than others when it comes to regenerative agriculture? 
Well, of course, right now, many consumers are rethinking food and meat in particular, right, with the plant-based crazed. And this is going to accelerate as these conversations continue. You know, and the consumer at the end of the day, you know, dictates the production models that they want to incentivize. And so for the past century, the only thing, as I mentioned earlier, was incentivized with low cost. Then the last 20 years, it's really interesting because there's been a lot more of a sophisticated conversation around organic and pasture-raised And so those ins and outs of what regenerative farming versus conventional farming, you know, it's really about agriculture being way too complicated to be described in single marketing terms and claims. So thinking of, you know, climate change, this is particularly interesting because it's such a confounding problem where there's a greater awareness that individuals are going to have to tackle this. And regenerative farming actually offers a practical way to support this type of movement. So there's like that aspect of, you know, eating smaller amounts of better quality meat that's been raised humanely um, and by people who are treated well um, as, as farmers and laborers. So what's exciting is that there is a growing amount of responsibility among consumers that they can't just rely on regulatory measures to ensure clean food. And they have to make choices that are going to impact food systems and the impact that those food systems have on the broader community. How do cost and scale factor into that? Yeah, that's been the question that we hear a lot of, um, you know, about like, like, well, you can't, you can't scale this. So, you know, it's going to be too expensive consumer, for consumers. And, well, yes, at the end of the day, price point does very much matter. But that's not where regenerative agriculture is going to compete very well. So as the industry grows, there's a greater need for organizations that have the capacity to strategize with sales and marketing and operation and finance and fine-tune the supply chain. And there you can solve those big challenges. So you look at the go-to-market strategies for some of these pasture-raised meat companies, such as Grassroots Co-op in Arkansas, ButcherBox, which is the direct-to-consumer, and they're demonstrating new strategies. And it's a dynamic landscape in and of itself that requires its own expertise that's unique to this particular strategy. You know, so as we continue to address this topic with consumers, uh, there are currently more questions than answers. And I find that to be very exciting. And it's in how to scale the process and make it more efficient. And in many ways, it's about partnerships between farmers and consumers and adopting some of the efficiencies of the farming paradox in a way that's consistent. And it drives change and opportunity to build that better system that connects the consumer and the farmer that's both effective and builds trust. Because, you know, as we know from all of our studies related to sustainability and organics, trust is really what everything rests upon for the consumer. And, you know, while the term regenerative agriculture has largely been relegated to soil health up to now, we're seeing the issue of social justice and food justice, which is one and the same to many consumers. We're seeing that sharing the spotlight. So, Danielle, I know, you know, we've talked a lot about this um, in the work that we do at the Hartman Group. What are your thoughts on the food justice certification? (laughs) Exactly. So we have a new certification to add to all of the the certifications that we've been talking about um, over the last decade or so. Now, is this just another certification or will it be a meaningful uh, representation on PAC as an attribute for consumers? In a nutshell, the food justice certification is about social justice for agricultural workers, covering issues like health, safety, employment, and compensation. 
For those who are familiar with the principles of fair trade, think of this certification as fair trade within North America. And while the food justice certification and the fair trade certification both focus on farmers and agricultural workers, the fair trade certification is distinctly inclusive of ingredients sourced outside of North America. Soulfire Farm in upstate New York is actually a great example of how the food justice certification is being used. And not only do they provide weekly deliveries of in-season and farm fresh food to hundreds of individuals in Albany's inner city, they are committed to ending racism and injustice in the food system. And I'm going to read you a statement from Leah Penniman, who is the co-director and farm uh, manager. Soul Fire Farm proudly sought the Agricultural Justice Project's Food Justice Certification, recognizing that to date, it is the only farm certification that commits to an unequivocal focus on the rights of food system and food chain workers. We value FJC's insistence on fair pricing and fair labor practices. Through programs such as the Black Latinx Farmers Immersion and Youth Food Justice Leadership Training, we are part of a network of farms working to foster land stewardship and leadership by Black and Brown people in the food system and reclaim regenerative farming practices. We strive to mirror the healing justice we seek in the world by community accountability, fair compensation, and commitment to personal and professional development. So back to our one of our earlier points, there are so many different certifications to keep track of now, but the food justice certification sits at the nexus of many consumers' value of local and domestic production on one hand, as well as their increasing focus on social justice issues and food production on the other. And because many consumers use certifications as kind of a quick at-shelf indicator of whether or not a product aligns with their values, this one has legs. Yeah, I would agree with you on that, Um, especially where we're at in our culture right now. Um, I think it has really accelerated interest in this particular certification, the food justice certification, because it has a lot, a lot of layers to it. Uh, so, you know, it's fair to say that the long-term trend around regenerative agriculture has much deeper relevancy than carbon sequestration and soil health, but a raising of social justice issues in the food system that some say are way overripe for change. So how this will play out depends on the category, whether it's animal products and the focus on animal and social welfare and improved soil or labor practices connected to produce or grains and other farm level ingredients grown within the U.S. Uh, So we can anticipate whether it's, you know, products that sit on shelf or farmer farms themselves. um, We we're we're going to be watching this one and keep keep everyone up to date on it. Yeah, and more consumers, especially younger consumers, are seeking greater transparency around these issues. So brands will really need to explore their practices in these areas and make improvements as necessary. Exactly, yeah. As we know from consumers, it's about progress, not perfection. It's totally fine. They're not expecting um, manufacturers or retailers to come out and be, you know, all buttoned up and, you know, spit, shine, polish, right? They, they want to know the journey um, that you're on as a company and that you don't have to be perfect. So one thing for sure is we are staying on top of these issues. So from our latest organic and beyond report to our sustainable 
Sustainability Syndicated Report. And we're here. We are here to help guide the food sector in navigating these challenging waters as they pertain to your brand or retail banner. So thank you so much, Danielle, for this important conversation about regenerative agriculture and how it really does go beyond uh, the, you know, that surface level meaning that we understand around uh, soil health. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you today. And I look forward to uh, checking in with all of our listeners in the future. Thanks, Melissa. Have a great day.